lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. We've got a double dose of wrestling awesomeness for you this week. We're talking Effie's Big Gay Brunch on uh, the second episode for this week, which but so definitely go download and listen to that because who doesn't want to talk about the biggest gayest event um, of the weekend up there in Chicago? Jake Atlas and Effie, uh, what a match! So many awesome matches. Every match on that show was just so good. Jordan Blade showed out. Ali and Dark Sheik, Ace and Frontman Shaw, Edith came back. Veda Scott showed up. Paro murdering folks. Uh, it's just up and down. Everything is so good. Me and my buddy Andrew um, talked about that on the other episode this week, but this episode is talking about the other event that closed out Sunday, AEW's All Out 2021. Arguably the most complete, stacked show in the company's history. Um, you know, so many arrivals, so many moments, so much emotion. And, you know, it's so much that I had to have two people on to talk about this show this week. Um, And I feel like I have the spoils of Daily DDT falling into my lap here to talk about this with me this week. Because I am joined, you know, by the returning Patches Chance and the debut of Phil Lindsay of Daily DDT and Bleacher Report. So we... All three of us came together and we chatted about the show, all the highs and lows. Phil was there live in Chicago. He's from Chicago, so the, there's definitely some special significance there. But uh, yeah, it was just an awesome conversation. And, you know, we talked about it for so long. I don't want to overstay my welcome on this intro. Let's just get right to that conversation real quick. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. I'm excited to get to talk about AEW All Out 2021. Uh, It was a monumental event. So many surprises, so many moments, so many awesome matches coming out of Sunday's event. And here to break it all down with me, I feel like I have like the creme de la creme of Daily DDT right here on the show. Uh, Coming back from Daily DDT, as well as Real Sport 101, we have Patches Chance. Thank you for having me course and debuting on the show from bleacher report as well as ddt phil Lindsay, how you doing today phil i'm good i'm good how are you i'm doing all right doing well i'm excited to get the chance to talk about this show that whew, my god it's how much can you pack into four hours that speaks to a pro wrestling audience like all out 2021 did I mean, you had all the all the debuts, all the surprises, like every from top to bottom. Like it's hard to think of a more complete AEW show from an in-ring performance perspective. Um, up just off the top of my head, how did how um, I guess going into the event, like what were your like thoughts heading into into this? Like any expectations that you had? We'll start with uh, Phil. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the biggest stories, of course, were, you know, Punk's uh, debut and, um, you know, possibly getting Bryant. So everything else was kind of like, you know, the cherry on top. And they came with even more surprises than we expected. Like um, to think like this is Chicago and this is Punk's debut. And I feel like that was 
not lower on the on the card of what everybody was excited for, but I mean, it was like just you know, tip of the iceberg. <laughs> it, the sheer fact that Punk's debut didn't necessarily feel like the biggest or maybe the biggest story coming out of this show is kind of mind-boggling because in some ways it is, but in some ways it isn't. Uh, I had, I guess, high expectations, but general expectations going in. Um, I was happy with a lot of the feuds they were building to, and I you know, had a feeling about a lot of the surprises, but, you know, kind of just, I wanted a good show, and that's what I got. No, I mean, you're definitely on the right track with y'all there. Like, it it was wild to, like, see CM Punk's return. Like, it obviously that's going to garner a lot of attention, especially being in Chicago. But the fact that I would say that's probably, like, the fifth talking point that a lot of people have right now when you factor in like the Danielson debut or the Adam Cole debut or that the cage match with the Lucha Bros and, and the Unbucks, like the emotion from that. Like, I think I, I will have the image of Pinta bloody crying, just screaming at the top of his lungs in the middle of that ring after that match etched into my brain for the rest of the time. Uh, that and him hugging his daughter after just, yes. just bleeding everywhere hugging his daughter because that's how much family means to them. Mm-hmm. And that's where you even get into Ruby Soho. I mean, my God, it's just, it's just so much. Yeah. So much here. Four massive surprises, you know, not even related to the matches themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was an awesome card. And, and, you know, I think we should just uh, kick it off. Let's get into the matches before don't waste any time. So, Obviously, we had the uh, the buy-in match with uh, the ten the ten man tag there. I think it was a good way to kick things off. Um, there's a lot of excitement. You know, it was definitely something that you could. It was just kind of a, a spectacle and kind of like at least for me, kind of prepared me for what was to come later on on a night of spectacles. If if that makes any sense, I don't know. How did y'all feel about the the ten man? Man. Uh... I keep saying it, but Jurassic Park is over, man. I mean, they get a super loud reaction every time. I think we all know Jungle Boy is a guy that they're going to push heavily at one at some point. But, you know, Luchasaurus is super, super popular. And, I mean, even the Marco Pop, when he did the dive to the outside, those guys are over. If you if they do debut trios championship, those are the guys. You got to put the belts on those guys. Yeah, I don't know that there's a better trio to start with there. Um Really, this match was, you know, this this was already going to be a hot crowd. It was Chicago. It was punk. It was there were all these things going in that made it prime to be a truly, you know, legendary hot crowd. But this was kind of the perfect way to get things rolling. Um, you know, you had the mini surprise with the butcher returning, uh, which was a great little moment that got a good reaction. Um, a lot of good stuff. It was great to see Private Party make it onto the card, even if it was on the buy-in. And uh, yeah, it, this was a great way to kick things off and kind of, you know, get ready and get things primed to actually get the real show started. No, it was just, and it wasn't, it didn't overstay its welcome. Like I think sometimes pre-show matches can, or these kind of matches can, where it's just all action all the time, you know. Yeah, you had... and even, even time-wise, I mean, it was nine and a half minutes, which is just right for, a pre-show opener with that many people in it. You know, you, everybody gets their moments. You you get things building, but you don't you don't overstay your welcome. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but yeah, it was a great way to kind of set the tone for what was to come. And if that didn't, the opening 
match on the actual card did because if we want to talk about somebody who has tapped into an audience um, that might not have realized it before, you know, AEW got back to crowds, Eddie Mad King Kingston, my God. Um, you know, I think a lot of people knew it a lot, a lot sooner than he did in a way. Um, just, just based off of like the way that I've seen like Eddie kind of like view himself. And we're talking about somebody who was on the brink of retirement before signing with AEW, and now he's one of the biggest stars in the company at this point and there was a showcase for him here against Miro uh in the TNT title match to open everything up um I really loved this match it it it, uh kind of gave me that hoss fight feeling in a lot of ways and then I don't know it was just I just love any match that I can see Eddie Kingston in his element and just like feeling oh, yeah. himself in the way that he was during this. I mean, whenever he's doing the shoulder shimmy along with like the clapping and the chants, like in rhythm, it's just like you know that he's on like a completely different, different level in his own head. So I think the thing with Eddie Kingston that we didn't get to see until he got to AEW because he's proven himself many times on the independent scene. You know, he's always been great on the mic, he's always been great in the ring, but the ability of his ability to command the crowd. It's that large. Um, It's a rare thing. You know, a handful of people, all the greats have it. uh, Being able to just kind of hold the crowd in the palm of their hand. And it can be 10,000 deep. And everybody is focused on what Eddie is doing. And and so I think, you know, since getting to AEW, you really got to see that on display. Um, And and yeah, this was was a great way to open. Um, Amazing work by Miro and Eddie. Bell to bell. Yeah. I mean, to Patrick's point, I mean, we watched him get redeem these nuts over in two days. Mm-hmm. He already had the t-shirt, already had the chant going within two days. Um, yeah. And that's quite impressive. It's <laughs> something that most people, you know, are not going to get over as seriously as he did. You know, yeah. it's going to be a quick joke and it's not going to stick, but it's stuck because it's Eddie. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I thought they told a really good story in this. I think, um, you know, just the story of Eddie trying to target the neck and upper body and you know Miro narrowly winning this thing that near fall towards the end with the turnbuckle cover I thought Eddie had it there but man this was this was great I think Miro is doing the best work of his career possibly I can't say enough good things about this match no I, I yeah. definitely agree with you on that like this, this is a I think this is the Miro that everybody wanted whether it be like you know back when he was in WWE or whenever he first showed up in the the pairing with Kip Sabian, like it was all kind of stepping stones, I think, to get to this like perfect version of him. Like I, there's just something about every time he like comes on and just calls himself God's favorite wrestler. Like it's just the, the yeah. bravado of it. It's just so yeah. <laughs> well, and it it helps that he does a God's favorite champion thing without having ever been a insufferable right wing American Christian, like. He takes that and he makes it his own. It doesn't. It doesn't have that tinge. It doesn't have that ugh to it. It's just, oh, he's that good. Yeah, I I don't know, and I feel like his promos are possibly better than we've ever seen him do promos. I think there was oh, a stigma. I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think there was a stigma with WWE where you know we can't let him talk too much because of the accent and all this other stuff. And he has been and they liked killing it. They liked to lean on Lana early, um, which I think worked because I think he developed over time. But 
yeah, near the end, he had proven himself a handful of times and they just wouldn't let him. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, just to, the way he uses his humor online and everything, like him tweeting right after the match, you know, you act yeah. your nuts have been redeemed. And then Lana's response was great. He's just money right now, man. Yeah, so his good. his uh his timing in, in all these little things, whether it's on the mic or anything, like that's one of those things that I think uh, with time and with the right opportunities to really hone that, that's something that you know the best really pull off, and we're getting to see his timing at a next level now. Yeah, he's definitely like much like we talked about with Eddie, like he's very much in tune with himself and in tune with his character and knows how to keep pushing this in the best direction for himself and for the company. It's, it's really amazing. This, I love seeing people that have kind of had that, that faltering moment, like really get a grip of, of who they are in this way. And, and mm-hmm. it's just, I, I'm, I'm here for it all day. Although I will say, I think some of the God's favorite champion stuff, is just a little bit of that Nashville, Tennessee rubbing off on him at this point. It's possible. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't Not know. going to roll it out. <laughs> Either way, I'll take it. Just keep give keep yeah. give me more of it. If, give me like on, on on the list of people I'm willing to enjoy a God's favorite champion gimmick from Miro's on a very short list. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh well that is gonna move us into our next matchup, which was uh probably I, you know, we didn't mention I, this moment. I still can't be- believe this match happened. <laughs> I can't believe anything in this segment happened. Yeah, we'll get in to a way. that. Exactly. <laughs> but before then, yes, Bread Club was in Chicago. I love bread. Oh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Satoshi Kojima showing up to take on John Moxley in a stellar match. Um, I have not been shy about my love for Satoshi Kojima on this show. Um, and I don't think that I am in a company that is going to be divergent in that opinion based off of, based off of y'all uh, reading y'all's work and, and, and just kind of seeing the online presence is there. Kojima and Moxley, um, to me, proved that, you know, a lot of the buildup to this match, you know, we didn't see Kojima on TV. It was really just like he signed a contract and said it was facing Kojima. And... Well- and there was also, I, I think it's worth pointing out, there was a little mm-hmm. bit of, I think, kind of disappointment from some fans because they thought it was going to be Tanahashi because Tanahashi had called out Moxley and, and talked about the title. And so I think there was an expectation that was built up by some fans. And so when it turned out to be Kojima, kind of, it was, oh, that's not who I wanted. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm very happy that's who we got. I was I was of the opinion. Let them cook. Let them mm-hmm. think summer. We're gonna get the Tanahashi match. I I told people when they were saying that like Tanahashi's the first guy to mention the Forbidden Door, and it yeah. kind of took off from there. He's going to be he's going to be either on AEW television at some point, or something's gonna happen with that. There's no way it doesn't. Yeah, it's just a matter of time, especially with you know the pandemic, and I'm sure they have to be very particular with who they they decide to send you know, on excursion yeah. right now. And so there's a lot of factors yeah. at play. Um, but he, yeah. He, ju- he just won the title as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too soon to immediately go into that title match. You got to give him some defenses under his belt first too. It, it's yeah. Coming. Exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. It's a matter of time. Um, and yeah, I was, was very happy with the choice. And uh, I, this felt like Satoshi Kojima at 110% in the G1. 
what this felt like. This felt like a, a G1 Climax match that was main eventing, you know, one of the nights that wasn't a big night. It was just one of the block matches. And they went out there and just gave us nearly 12 minutes of perfection. No, I definitely agree with you on that. The The match that popped in my head immediately, like when it was near the end here and thinking about the, the past, like maybe like four to five years of Kojima, you know, kind of like winding down as, as a top guy in, in New Japan, it, it really brought back the Juice Robinson G1 Climax match from a few years back. Like probably, I don't know, probably one of the more standout matches from um, this era of Kojima. And I was really happy to see him get this spot, get this this profile boost on, on AEW programming here in the States because I feel like he's a guy who's still, you know, 30 years in, obviously he's not going to be at the top of your card on like say a new Japan show, even like on strong, he's not going to be like the, the cowbell there, but <laughs> he can still go so hard and so well, and still be such a um, mm-hmm. important piece of that where he doesn't have to carry everything on his back, but he can still be a, a formidable part of those program of that programming. And he showed why, here in this moxie match um yeah you know like the styles messed really really well um mm-hmm. and it just it just delivered all like all around for me um and then of course like we can, we can talk more about the match but i have to we have to talk about the king showing up afterwards yes the, the match reigniting. after the match <laughs> yes the match after the match minoru yeah. suzuki fucking murder daddy himself Good old murder, Grandpa. Yes. <laughs> Just rolling in unannounced. I am so jealous for everyone that was in that building that got to scream Kaze Ninare. So. I that was part of why I was losing my voice the next day because I just <laughs> first like I mean completely valid. We we I mean we talked about how punk was a, a big thing. It was gonna be a huge pop for punk. There was gonna be a huge pop possibly for Brian. This was one of the legitimate surprises on this card because yeah, I feel like we all knew Suzuki was here, but nobody kind of guessed like, oh, he could show up because, you know, we already thought the match was set. Man, this was this was huge. I mean, I'm a huge Suzuki guy. I mean, I'm already on a high from, you know, being able to see Kojima wrestle live, but Suzuki, like, in Chicago, and Chicago, like, welcomed him well. Um, I saw somebody um, tweet this out yesterday, and they were like, you know, Chicago failed at singing Judas, but they succeeded at singing Kase Nina Ray. And that was a very proud moment for me as a Chicagoan. We got that one right. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to why Chudas went wrong later. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but but oh, yeah, I, I think you're right that I think in, in some ways this was the most legitimate surprise on this card because, you know, we knew, we didn't know for sure. We thought Ruby Soho was going to be the Joker. We knew CM Punk was going to be there for his main. We, you know, heard reports that Brian might show up at the end. And we knew that Adam Cole was a high likelihood. Suzuki was not on anyone's radar going into this night. No one was thinking, we're going to get Suzuki. And so I I think in a lot of ways, it ended up being the most surprising of it all. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, even when you, like, line up that list of surprises, like, who... If you think like if you had like the book for this and you had all these different people to debut, like you would think that you already have these four major people that are that are coming back. 
you would uh, like regular thinking would say like that's enough you don't need to put suzuki in this spot as as a surprise but uh but, who um, cares if, if it's an option <laughs> are you saying no like no exactly who cares you don't have to follow any kind of there's no rubric for this I, this you is, know? and that's the other thing is this is such a standout and kind of break the mold show because there are so many pieces in place and so many culminations happening at one event. And so, you know, yeah, I, I you know, I had friends and I understand the, the theory that they felt like there were too many surprises. They felt like they should have patience and should have, should have held there's, off some there's stuff. No for, you know, the next, too many surprises. What's the wrong next with people? Dynamite <laughs> or something like this. And I'm like, I'm like, or, or they could not. And just do what they did because it seemed to work. What I don't understand what's wrong with people. There's no such thing as too many good things. You can have more yeah. than one good thing. And you know, I, I, I think I'm the, happy with the embarrassment of riches we have. Exactly. I, I think the thing that they did really, really well with the show is like, hey, you know, if you tuned in just to see Punk's first match back, we got stuff you can watch on Dynamite. Like they were like, Hey, mm-hmm. by the way, we're giving you Suzuki versus Moxley on network television, just in yeah, case, I'm, you know. I, I'm still not ready for that. It's just, I don't know, man. They just gave us so much that they were like, it's not like, okay, we blew our load. It's like, hey, keep watching because we still got stuff for you, for you to be enjoying on Dynamite. Yeah, uh, um, I feel like this show was also paced very well. And we'll get into that as kind of, we get to kind of the end of things. But yeah. uh, it was, you know, the, even the surprises were paced well throughout the show. And you're right that in a lot of ways, this show, it was a huge event in and of itself. But it was also a gigantic you know ecstatic pitch to say look at everything you could see later yeah and and so you know we'll see how tonight goes um as we're recording before dynamite airs uh we'll see how you know the ratings come out we'll see over time over months and weeks and years really but in a lot of ways i feel like this is you know it, this feels like the climax. I feel like this is just getting started. Oh, for sure. And I mean, if we can somehow get Suzuki versus Danielson, come please. on, give it to me. Please. Wrestling gods, please. please. Tony Khan, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, oh, God. I hadn't even thought about that matchup until you just mentioned it. Of course. Jeez. Yes. Okay. The the amount of Danielson New Japan matches in my, in my brain that have been floating around, um, it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. most of them. It's most <laughs> of the roster. That's what I want. I want a G1 that is the Daniel, the Brian Danielson one. I want the BD one and I want it to be Brian Danielson versus the entire New Japan Pro Wrestling roster over a period of four or five days. Yeah. Because I mean he wants to he wants to test his body and push his limits, right? I, I think that'll do it. I mean yeah. that that's one way for yeah, sure. <laughs> just put that on pay-per-view. Trust me, it'll sell. well speaking of things that that sold and delivered our next matchup Britt baker dmd defending the women's world championship against chris statlander in a god i know i'm gonna sound like a broken record on the show because like all the matches were just so great but like this was this was by far like one of the better aw women's world title matches that i've seen you know, and, and it just kind of continues that track of Britt Baker continuing to rise over the past year and a half. Um, even like coming into this match with the broken wrist steel and and, and uh, being able to, you know, pull off what she did. And Chris coming back with her first big match since returning from injury. 
I, there was just so much that that played into this. Um, you had obviously Orange Cassidy on the outside. I I, <laughs> I love whenever Orange Cassidy like breaks character because it's always the perfect moment for him to yes. break down the veneer. He, he knows how to pick and choose. Exactly. He knows and when that, it's going to mean something. <laughs> and the addition of Jamie Hader to mm-hmm. Baker's entourage has been a breath of fresh air. Um, yes. Not that I thought that that the Rebel and and Brit uh, tandem was like kind of starting to run its course because obviously that's not the case, I think. But Hader just adds a completely different dynamic and and also and honestly it also got her back across the pond here and into an AEW ring where i think so many people who have been following the women's division there have been you know i think that hater was someone who kind of got lost in the mental shuffle in a way throughout the pandemic because she wasn't really doing much over in the uk you know she was still under contract with AEW, but you know, couldn't really act on that because of a lot of the the travel stuff that was happening there. So mm-hmm. I think I'm really happy to see her kind of get this 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 new life as well in coming back to the company. Um, but that's just the window dressing around what really was a, a, a awesomely worked match um, with a lot of oh, so many good near falls uh, mixed yeah. in there and. Just I don't know. I, I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna keep saying like praiseworthy words if, if someone else doesn't <laughs> pop in here and, and yeah. throw their opinion, I think. Yeah, I, I, I wanna I, let I, Phil roll with it because I know with Bell to Bells, I feel like you've got the perspective we need right now. So this was definitely one of those matches where I felt like there were several matches that could have main evented this card. This could have easily been a main event. It was that good. Mm-hmm. Um Bridge that big of a star. Um and I mean, like I said, there were maybe four other matches that could have easily main evented this card. Um Man, this was good. I feel like anybody that was that has been down on Brit as a wrestler and saying she's just a good talker, I feel like this kind of shuts people up because this was easily her best match. I feel like she's had several really good matches this year. The unsanctioned match, of course. Mm-hmm. The, uh, Absolutely. The, the main event with Red Velvet was also very good. The match with Sheeta was also very good. Um, and I don't think people talk about that match enough. I don't think people talk about how great she is in general, but I digress. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with you on both counts. Yes, same. Uh, but yeah, so I, this was this was phenomenal. Um, Statlander is just so good in ring. She's just such a great athlete. Uh, the handstands on the turnbuckle will always pop me. She's just, she's just amazing. The, the pendulum um, moonsault she did off the apron and missed and then immediately gets nailed with that uh, curb stomp. Oh, just so good, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I think Statlander is one of the more, you know, even though I think she does get recognition and praise, I think in some ways she's one of the more underrated uh, powerhouses in the women's division in AEW and in general in women's wrestling today that she she has that power, but it's not, it's not the only piece of her arsenal, but it beefs up everything she does. It makes everything have that extra oomph. Um and, and yeah, it was it was great work from both of them throughout this match. Uh, Britt has been on fire as of late and just keeps getting better. And this was kind of, I felt like the culmination for everyone involved, uh, whether it's, you know, Britt's rise to kind of really showing that she has earned and deserved and can carry this position. You know, Statlander yeah. proving that she's on that same level. Hater and Rebel really being those perfect outside figures and then Cassidy being kind of the extra unique baby face trying to fire Statlander up when he needs to. Um, I I think everybody played their role well here and it all came together. 
Yeah, and it's just awesome to see like Chris kind of get back and really mix it up in a uh, um, in a match like this, coming back from the knee injury because he really hasn't had a ton of like these style of matches, like something like this intense, like with mm-hmm. and on this large of a stage since coming back. And obviously, she showed that she can do that before, you know, in the title match she had against Nyla Rose back before she got hurt. Um, so it's just nice to see that because. It's nice to see that happen for her because I feel like, you know, a lot of the time it can be very easy to kind of not necessarily write her off as a more like character driven personality, like because of the, you know, the boop and and the a lot of the, the alien machinations of the character there. But at the end of the day, like she is a she is a powerhouse. She can go. And she proves it whenever she gets the opportunity to do so. And yeah, um, I, f- I feel like there are people who don't watch AEW who think Chris Statlander is a comedy character. Yeah, um, because that's just <laughs> exactly makes no sense at all. No. But I guarantee you, someone said it. it. It's just that's not you know yeah. because you have character doesn't make you that you know because she adds character and she has a you know something that she kind of molds into all of parts of her persona that doesn't stop her from being a very you know accomplished in-ring technician and powerhouse bell to bell yeah i i think statlander is on that list of women that i think could easily be champion within a year um yes there i i feel like when people are like oh their women's division is this or that i mean for for better or worse they always kind of deliver good pay-per-view matches um so I feel like every time they do a pay-per-view match, it's like, you guys are there. You're right there. Just give us the TV segments too, and it would be great. Because yeah. I, I feel like every time they give the women like the time on a pay-per-view card, they deliver. Yeah, it, and I think it's almost been ramping up. Like, yeah, I, I think it's been going on for some time, but they deliver more and more and more when they actually get the opportunity. And so, yeah, I'm I'm very, you know very hopeful that we finally see that balance start to shift a little bit and they get a little more time each Wednesday and really become kind of a more central focal point of Wednesday nights. The the thing that I've liked so far since Rampage has come is that they'll kind of give the women's segments on Wednesday to build up the actual match that's on Friday. And I kind of like that trend because it gives them, you know, story going throughout the week and then you get the match at the end of the week. Yeah, and, and they seem plenty willing to make the Rampage main event a women's match, and so that is a good sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely, it's the, it the, it looks like there's there's being more value put on that division after you know so much clamoring from from yeah so many different places um, in the I, audience. I think there's I think there's been understandable frustration that it has taken longer than it should have, but that said, I'm still very happy with where it's at and where it looks like it's going to continue to go. Um, yeah. I, I always want more, but you know, you, you push for more, but you appreciate what we've got. And, and you give them the praise when they do it right. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Like the change, always demand more because there's always more mm-hmm. that can be done. Um, yeah. So speaking of that though, we can, I guess, transition over to, uh, I, I think for a lot of people, including myself was the the match of the show uh tag team titles on the line in the steel cage penta el cerro miedo and ray phoenix against matt and nick jackson 
I don't even know if there are words that'll do this match justice, honestly. Um, I guess I guess we'll start this off like, how have y'all been feeling the Young Bucks character as of like the past like six seven months? Like the like always like coming out showing off new Jays every <laughs> every week, getting their Dior stolen to airport <laughs> and not caring like that kind of mindset that we that we've seen from the characters of the Bucks heading into this match. I am a, I am an avid Young Bucks fan. Um, I think they are just better at heels. They're just better at being trolls. They're just naturally douchey. So <laughs> it's just something about them that when they're when they're heels, it just works. They're man. they're good Christian douchey boys. Yeah. So they they are just so much better at heels when they're doing the we're better than you, we're richer than you. They're just that much better. And I feel like the numbers game with you know the super elite. And building up to this cage match is, is part of why this match worked so well, because at this point, you know, whether you like the Young Bucks as wrestlers, we want the titles off of them because they've done such a great job as heels. Um, and I don't know, man, like I feel like anybody that is, you know, in the, the Young Bucks are overrated crowd. I feel like this is one of those matches where you, you have to give them their credit. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I would ever say the Young Bucks are overrated. Uh, I definitely, you know, it was a, we were reaching a point where both because of, you know, they were very hateable as douchey heels, but also I was just ready for a change. Uh, I was ready for somebody else to be the top team. You know, I think the elite has done very well at being asshole heels for some time. Um, and it's gotten better in recent, you know, months, but it, it's also, you know, a credit to them that I was so ready for them to lose. Um, and in many ways, to me, this match felt like the culmination of everything these two teams have ever done before yes. AEW all the way to now. Um, from PWG to any indie clash they had, this was, this was all of that wrapped into this moment. Um, and there were so many callbacks, uh, you know, with the most obvious one probably being the Super the, the tack boot yeah. um but there's so many little things and ways that they you know pulled all of that rivalry and all of that emotion in the lucha bros finally getting the win for the aew tag titles that they have been trying to get since day one that it was it, it was everything it needed to be man i i turned to somebody that i was there with and i said man when they came out and they did that entrance which by the way Ruckus smoked that entrance. Oh my god! That oh was, my god! Yes, that, that was incredible. So good. So yeah, I turned to the, my friend I was with, and I said, "Man, if the Lucha Bros win this match, this place is going to erupt because the, the oh, reaction yeah. to them was so loud when they came out. I feel like they got one of the best reactions of the night. Um, and I mean, that's crazy to say that when I, they're on a card with all of these other big surprises, and they got such a great reaction." Um, I think the reaction more than likely um, to the average fan probably got overshadowed by the entrance uh, just because of the surprise of a different kind of entrance and a special entrance. But yeah, it, it was so solid. Um, yeah. it, and so, and I'd imagine much more clear to you live than to the audience watching at home because we're also seeing the band and hearing the live band. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it set the tone for, that this is this is big this is huge this is this is what it all led to you know there, there will be fallout and this may or may not be the last time we see them together but you know 
as of now, this is the culmination. Yeah, no, like this was just so off the wall good. And that's not, we haven't even talked about the in ring yet, like really, because yeah. like I, I, I knew that Ray, putting Ray Phoenix in a cage was going to deliver something like that would blow my mind because like Ray Phoenix does that without a cage around the ring on a nightly mm-hmm. basis. But my God, like, like kicking off of the cage. Any- Anything that lets <laughs> anything that lets Ray Phoenix jump from a higher angle is fantastic and dangerous. Dangerous, um, yes. <laughs> I, uh, as we kind of talk about the crazy stuff he did, I want to call out the uh, the media scrum, um, which I watched in full. I think yesterday I finally had time to, and the uh, there was a really great moment where I think is his name AJ the uh, the like ten year old who was doing oh, yeah. media questions, yeah. Um, that he asked Lucha Bros, uh, basically, are they scared or nervous when they do these big, big moments and these big, you know, dangerous moves? And Phoenix was like, no. And they basically talked about how the mask gives them power, that when they put the mask on, they become superheroes and they, they don't feel fear. And it, it ties back into Cerro Miedo and no fear and all that. But it's, it was, you know, this was a great example of that, that the mask gives them power and they, you know, when it's time, they can go to extraordinary limits and push themselves to extraordinary limits to get the win when it matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, we can say a lot. I know there was a, there's always a lot of talk about diversity and I just mm-hmm. think the fact that they had such an entrance that that was that big and they played up there, you know, Lucha, Lucha background and their heritage and everything. And there's just such a big Hispanic community in Chicago that embraced them as soon as they came out. It just, it was really cool to be there to see, man. Mm, I can imagine, you know, like that, like there, there's something like that entrance was just so powerful. Just even like watching it like oh, yeah. here at home, like it just like you could, you could see like the same emotion that I talked about, you know, at the opening of this show where, well, you know, at the end of the match with Penta and Ray, like crying, clutching those belts in the ring, like, you could see that in them you could, coming down. Th- to you the could ring. feel it through the screen. Yeah. Um, really for me. And, and yeah, it, there, there's only so much that can be said about the in ring because ultimately my in ring description is please for the love of God, watch this match. Yeah, because because no wrestling fan should not see this match. Every wrestling fan should watch this, whether you've seen you've never seen the Lucha Bros and you've never seen the Young Bucks. I don't care if you hate them both. If you appreciate wrestling, you will appreciate this match. Yeah, I uh, I also, you know, just gonna, you know, tighten my belt a little bit and, you know, say that I felt a little vindicated here because, you know, I did a list of top 10 tag teams and I put Lucha Bros top five. There were some people like, why do they belong, belong in top five? Okay, well, go watch that match. <laughs> exactly. Why do they belong in the top five? Have you seen them? They've been like, <laughs> have, how, they've been top five for like five years at this point. Like, I don't yeah. understand why anybody like, would dispute that. I yeah. think people can dispute top three or top two or number one. I don't think you can dispute top five, honestly. <laughs> No, you can't. I I also said that Zero Miedo is one of the best catchphrases in wrestling right now. There are people that try to dispute that. Again, go watch that match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, and, and I think 
I think you're right in that this was kind of an example of the power that catchphrase has um, and kind of when a catchphrase can mean something to a greater story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. No, I, I don't I, know, man. Like, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I was just going to say, I don't know how much you can jump into with like, I'm sure we go on and on naming spots in this match, but I just think the storytelling they did here was great. I think the way that they um, brought in the, the Travis Scott's with the tax was great. Yes. Um, <laughs> It just, I mean, we all knew that Phoenix was eventually going to get to the top of the cage and jump off. But mm-hmm. I think the way that they, they got there was great. And the the broken pin, the uh, after the tax, when, when they got the tax and like it looked like the Lucha Brothers were dead. It looked like Penta was dead. And and that save, like, I mean, I could I could feel that pop from the near fall in Texas. <laughs> that's that's how that's how big that felt um because i i think there was a fear that it was oh it's just gonna be the young bucks again we're, we're just gonna do this again lucha brothers aren't gonna get their moment it's all over all right everybody pack up and go wait it's not no and like that's really what i pull and, and latch on to a lot with pro wrestling is like the emotion that you create in, in those moments and yeah, like this was unrivaled on this show. Um, all of the, the the aftermath there, like like you said, Phil, like we could go on and on about the in ring. Like I, I I will say this, I will say this much at least. I was glad I got to see an Avalanche Canadian Destroyer. I don't ever want to see an Avalanche Canadian Destroyer again. My God, I thought Matt Matt Jackson that, had broke his neck. Um, that that move is up there with the uh, the inside out, or I'm sorry, the outside in dragon suplex that uh kenny did um i think it was on coda um or on on okada yeah that that's one of those moves that's like it's amazing that's that's one of the most gorgeous terrifying things i've ever seen please never do it again no one ever yeah yeah i i like y'all i love y'all too much please take care of your bodies yeah, this was this again. This is number two. Like I said earlier, with the Brit match, this also could have main evented this card easily. Yes. Oh yeah. 100%. Very much so. No, I just, I don't know. Like like you said, like you said, uh, both of y'all. Like I agree completely. Go watch this match if you have any inkling of love for pro wrestling in your body. Go watch this match. Uh, it it will speak to every bit of your being. I would say. Yeah. Um, but. There is more to talk about. This is like that's the other thing too. Like this is like the fourth match on this card. They put this so early. Yeah, we in the were show. not even halfway. Like this is the halfway point, <laughs> essentially. But it did kind of it did set the table for the next match though because we had the return of the Casino Battle Royale. Um, yes, or Casino which, Battle which Royal. I, I always get thrown off on the name sometimes. I I feel like they can't decide which one it is. Honestly, uh, that said, I, I really love the Casino you know, battle royale concept. Um, it, it's just enough Royal Rumble without making it be required to be a, you know, 67 minute match. Um, you get some surprises, but you also get through it quicker while getting to highlight a lot of people. Yeah, I'm not that big of a fan of the format of it. I think that they could do a better job um, explaining the format of it. I think they should tell us um, who's in each suit. That way, you know, we're not all like, looking at the screen when all the music plays and go, Oh, who's that? Who's that? I think if they, I think if they do a better job of, you know, if they, if they announce the suits beforehand, yeah, I think that would lean into it because 
yeah. people could think ahead of hand, oh, well, this suit has this person and this person and they're going to work together or this yeah. person and this person and they're in, a, they're in a rivalry. So, yeah, I think that could build anticipation better is announcing that ahead of time and then expecting the Joker to be the we don't know who's going to get the Joker thing. Yeah. Um, um, but with that said, I was very proud in this match of just how well the women's division looks. I think that mm-hmm. this match showcased how many distinct characters are in this division, how many yes. distinct styles of wrestling are in this division. And 21 I, very, very different women. Yeah. They're all very, very good. I was a little bit afraid that they put this match right after, you know, such a match that, you know, was kind of exhausting to watch. And I was worried that the crowd wasn't going to be into it. The crowd was actually very into it. And, you know, that's just a, you know, testament to how great the crowd was of course but it's a testament to how well that division has how far the division has come and just how over some of these women are um and that was just i was just very proud to see that i mean even someone like sky blue who has only been there for what like two showings with the aw yeah yeah very very recent yeah and she got a great reaction um yeah just seeing stuff like you know the great reaction that jade got the great reaction that like riho got riho always gets a good reaction and yeah, it just, it was cool to see. No, I, I'm with you for sure, Phil. Like that, this match really showcased the depth and, and the diversity that that division has in the company, especially it, it felt like a statement in a way to a lot of the people that either, you know, on one side of, of the, of the um, equation, you know, they're talking about the women's division being something that should be supported more. And, you know, they're not seeing as many people on, on television. And then you have the other camp on the other side that just basically just like, well, who cares about the women's division, which those people don't even deserve a conversation. They can just <laughs> go educate themselves somewhere else. But yeah. like, there, it really, there's, there's no use in, in no. arguing with them. Exactly. Like they'll learn on their own time. And if they don't learn this, they're fucking lost. Um, so it was just one of those things where I, I really enjoyed the the swath of personalities, the swath of identities here. Because this is also, you know, this is a queer pro wrestling show. This is where we got the majority of our queer representation on this on this card. You know, you had mm-hmm. Nyla in there, uh Kiera Diamante, both were in there. Um, I wish Kiera had been in there a little bit longer. I've really enjoyed her work post-impact, and I felt like she could have got a bit more shine here, um, even though, you know, it did feel, parts of this match did feel a little bit rushed, I think, um, until we got to maybe the last suit heading into the Joker. Um, eliminations kind of seemed like all over the place, I would say. Uh, yeah, it did feel a little chaotic at times, but uh, I think I think in some ways the chaos of it helped the pacing. Uh, it you know, it kept this as a hot match, but I think also in some ways kind of the format almost gave the crowd a room, you know, a little room to breathe uh, before we got to the Joker. Um, yeah. yeah, And, and uh, something that I think, a, a little thing that I want to call out just because I think it's silly and fun and I always enjoy it is the fact that they still list Rebel's name as Rebel parentheses, not Reva. <laughs> to, when, to when the spades... To when the spades came out, it was a little list shown in the corner of the screen that was like Ty Conti, Red Velvet, Layla Hirsch, Jade Cargill, Rebel, not Reba. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, the other thing here, you know, I talked about everybody else's reaction. The reaction that Anna Jay got on mm. when she came back on Dynamite was fantastic. And to see her also get a reaction last night, again, I, I, I know it's easy to pick on 
on you know certain things that they've done with their women's division. It's definitely the weakest thing of their programming, but they have yeah. done some things really, really well. And I think they've done a great job of building Anna. I think they've done a job of building T. There, there are wrestlers here that you know they could easily slot in and make yeah. them a contender, and it would work. Um, I have to praise Ty Conti for her reaction to Anna Jay's return. Um, it, it really just was, it was yeah. perfect for me. It, it was such a fantastic moment. Uh, um, yeah. And yeah, great reaction here where they kind of got to uh, see each other again in this match. And yeah, there's so many good pieces here. And it, this was a great way to kind of show everything they're capable of in a smaller format in that, you know, everybody got their little moments, but this was kind of your buffet of this is, this is a large chunk of what we have to offer and I, I think the fact that it is constantly something that we push against uh, AEW4 to want more of is the fact that their women's division for a while hasn't been bad. No. It's, it's been, we want more. It's been, we feel like they could give it more time on Wednesdays. It's been all those things. And I think that's a testament to all the things that they're doing right, that the women's division being at this level, we still feel like, no, we know they can do better. Yeah. We know they have the capability to do better than this. And that's why we keep pushing for it. Exactly. Right. Like there's not been a bad women's world title match on any of the pay-per-views. Like I can't think no, of a no. bad one. And they always I, like not, to, they I'm always sure show out. I'm not sure there's been a bad one since the title was created, honestly. Um, no. I would have to go hunting to find one. <laughs> yeah. I mean I can't I, I I can't pull one right now. Also, I would be remiss if I did not include legitly Lahirsch among that mm-hmm. queer representation community there. I do yes, not want to leave her out because uh, seeing her German Nyla Rose was uh, giving me life, honestly. Um. Yeah, um, I, I feel like people who've seen Layla understand the power she has, but I still love when they get those moments to, you know, it, it's, a, it's a thing that even as someone who knows she can do that, but especially as someone who doesn't know. Mm-hmm. You, you see that moment and you think, oh, there's no way that tiny little thing can can pick her up. Oh, she can. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the, the crazy thing about this division is there are at least three women in that division that can do that. I feel like people still act like they're surprised when Riho pulls off something like that. And it's like, but this yeah. is Riho. She's fantastic. Um, well, um, part of that, uh, not to pile onto him when he's not even part of the conversation, part of that is Jim Ross's fault. Because he felt the need to mention her weight about eight billion times when she started. I, I wish up. he would stop doing that. I really do. Yeah. Um, I, I pers- personally, I think Jim Ross is the weakest part of their commentary team by a mile. Uh, I understand his value as nostalgia, and I understand his value in moments. I think he should be used in interviews, and he should not be on commentary anymore. Yeah, I can see that. I think that I, I, I think it's one of those things where I think he's got plenty of value to the company, but I think he has outlived his usefulness in that role. Yeah, I. But the thing is, you're paying him way that much money. You're not going to just use him for backstage. You're just paying him way too much money to do that. He's, yeah. he's going to be on commentary. Well, and but I also think his value isn't just in backstage, but I think his value as a mind and as uh, sure. being able to offer input from his history and his career. You know, whether it's from his experience in talent scouting or, or anything really. Um, I think I think he's an asset to just be present. Yeah, um, for sure. But I, I think he's definitely, uh, you know, I really, I, I wouldn't mind Jr. in small doses. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind him at all in big matches or, you know, when it feels appropriate. But uh, I don't think he needs to be there every week. I will say this much about about Jr.'s presence there. Like he's shown that he can 
acclimate to like some of the more modern stuff specific and i'm talking about like culturally in that way like mm-hmm. you know he can get sunny kisses pronouns right and if he can yes. get sunny kisses pronouns right then he can like change up his yes. stuff to to better fit into this this uh 2021 idea of of the presentation of pro wrestling you don't have yeah, to keep mentioning I, people's weights you don't have to keep mentioning like like I, I i cringe every time that he talks about like nyla or chris being like really strong and really powerful or big but not and then like turning that into like not like a weight thing just like you know they're it's, muscular it's, nobody was thinking it but you man yeah um, yeah exactly uh, yeah um i I'm glad you brought it up because I, I give him a lot of credit for getting Sonny's pronouns right. I, I feel like that's something that shouldn't have to be given credit because that's basic decency. But at the same time, I'm glad that it's something that he's made a point of. And I'm glad it's something that AEW made sure that he made a point of. Um, I think there are other pieces of his commentary, like the weight thing and little comments like that, that whether it be Tony or someone else could go, hey, let's try to avoid this. And I think he could, but I, I don't know that there's actually a concerted effort to make him do that. Um, or to even suggest to him to do that. Yeah, and I do want to talk about Ruby Soho. We still have not talked about Ruby Soho yes, yet. But as we get to the climax of this. Exactly. Before we get there, though, I do have to highlight, this plays into um, what we saw on Dark last night, too. Swole and Diamante getting the chance to get back in, into the ring and mix it up ahead of that three strikes match um, yes. that got so much attention for... What initially I think was a, a frustration that got turned into a humongous positive um, online coming out of that with the um, the black, black wrestlers draw hashtag um, last night. It's just I just it, we talk about diversity um, in this match. We talk about like, you know we talked about it with the Lucha Bros as well. Like I feel like a lot of people that are continually voicing their opinion about AEW's main event scene and and the lack of diversity in certain aspects of the show that they, they have really started this like even just like looking at this week in particular really started taking the the bull by the horns and trying to really s- offer extended support to um people uh, like Big Swole um in in this um in this company and have really started to kind of like really concentrate where their voice can be heard the most and that was amazing to see for me personally yeah Yeah. this was a great lead into that and i think that was a fantastic match um i really have to credit school that i one of my favorite things in wrestling is little things it's little reactions and little nuance that that stick with you that may not necessarily be the moment or the move or the win or even part of the story leading in um but with swole for me it was her screaming at the top of her lungs after she hit the dirty dancing screaming is she out is she out because she needed it to be over she needed that to be it and you can feel that you can feel the emotion you can feel the power in that and i feel like that's you know when wrestling gets it right i think that's what that's what it does it delivers that emotion it delivers that feeling yeah i I think for me watching just how much people went up online for school it's it's very close to what we see with Naomi all the time and how we're like, Mm -hmm. we see a lot of people just love Naomi as a person and how, how people just connect with her. And so I think Swole is just one of those people where people just connect with her realness and her, you know, her authenticity. And so I think people just want her to win. People want her to succeed. Um, And, you know, her story with Diamante was one of those things in this match that I thought was a very well done, how they, you know, 
put that out there and go, okay, well, make sure to watch this on dark. I mean, clearly they're like planting seeds for other stories throughout this match, but I feel like this was like the most prevalent. Yeah, for sure. I, I believe it was as well. Yeah, I, I, definitely, definitely. Um, and of course, that brings us to the Joker, Ruby Soho, for defining her destination after uh, the, so long. <laughs> my favorite thing about all these, you know, surprises, because we get them and they mean something, but especially, you know, we've had the handful of people that have come from WWE, is joy. Is it's infectious, because you could see the joy in them when they realize that they're getting that reaction and they realize, you know, I love this again. Um, that That's something that I felt. It's like it pops up every time they do a media scrum and every time people do interviews, you know, these big names get to come from WWE to AEW. And it feels like the consensus, the, the common denominator between everyone is, man, it's weird to enjoy what I do. Yeah. Um, it's weird to like going to work because WWE in so many ways and in so many issues has has kind of baked that out of the system, um, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. And, and so it's just, you know, as a fan, as someone who really loves and appreciates wrestling and loves and appreciates the the work and the struggle that wrestlers go through to to get to that level and to put on these shows and to put on these moments, to get to see that payoff for them personally, to see that joy in their face, that's that hits me just as hard as anything else does. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we have to acknowledge just how well Ruby did, you know, getting to her, you know, eventual return to wrestling. You know, the vignettes got over so well. And I yes. think that's why when she, before she even came out, the Ruby Soho chants were already starting. When she yep. came out, people were already singing a song. Yeah, and um, props to Lars Fredrickson because yeah. um, that, I, you know, he just gave it to her. He just... Yeah. It, they were talking and she talked about how she liked Ruby and he was like, what about Ruby Soho? And she, you know, was obviously flattered and obviously very honored to get that possibility. And he was like, no, I'll clear it with legal. Don't worry. You can have the song. I'll take care of it. It, it was yeah. not even a, you know, don't worry. AW can afford it. We'll make a deal. It was no, this is your song now. Go do your thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. She talked about that in the media scrum and, I mean, you know, being in the media scrum and watching just how happy she was for her reaction there and just seeing, you know, how humbled she was by it in some ways, it was cool. And I think it just made the moment even better. I mean, you know, I talked about how into Suzuki's, you know, uh, appearance I was, but man, it just was hard to not be happy for Ruby. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to make it into a, you know, she was done dirty here or done dirty there, but I just feel like she is one of those talents that should have been able to do more at WWE. And it's, I, it was a I don't shame think that she WWE, I don't think WWE ever understood what they had. No, um, they didn't. And, and I, I think that was really kind of the core issue there. It's really unfortunate that she had to go through with what she you know, went through. Um, and I think it's really a testament to who she is as a person that we, that when she was released or um, that the kind of this, unanimous roar from everyone who had ever worked with her was she's fantastic we love her we hope everything happens for her there was no sniping there was no drama over you know she she wasn't as good as they say she is no it was is everybody who pr pretty much everybody who had worked with her was all for her and supporting her and loving her and so 
getting to see that now pay off and her to get that payoff in this moment was great. Sure. And yeah. and then it helped that she's she's very good in the ring and that got to be showcased. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, I think the the lasting image from from all of this is just her winning the match and then looking up and seeing Bryce Remsburg and just saying like hi Bryce and collapsing yes. into his arms. Like it was just <sighs> it's what you yeah. want it was, what you love wrestling perfect. for. Yeah. yeah. It it was it was perfect, you know. I over, I'm going to go overuse culmination here. Um, we do a count, uh, but it was in many ways of, of her, of her, you know, returning to pro wrestling um, because that's not where she was. Uh, and, you know, returning to her friends and returning to these people that she loved and missed um, and to this sport that she loved and missed. Yeah. I mean, man. And I mean, you can say a lot about the pacing of this match. Maybe some people got eliminated a little bit quicker than I thought, but I thought mm-hmm. they did a really good job with the final three. I thought yes. they handled. Yes. Yeah, I think um, they. Handled. I was very happy with the amount of time that the final three got. Um, yeah. Even if I felt like the eliminations were a little quick going into the final three, I was very glad that the final three got a lot of time to really build that, you know, to that finish. Yeah, I, I think the way they handled Jade in particular, getting uh, tossed out by her own hubris, was great. And I think mm-hmm. if you're building the match to Jade versus Nyla, I'll take it. That's going to be a great match. Yeah, I'm never uh, turning that down. Yeah, and I mean, I think they planted a little bit of a seed there for Thunder to turn on Ruby eventually because her walking out and said, saying it should have been me. <laughs> it's I, right there. I, I'm very interested by the possibility of heel Thunder Rosa, um, yes. to be honest. And so, you know, I she she obviously gets a great reaction, but I think uh, it would be very interesting to see her in that role um, if the timing and the story fits. Yeah, uh, she's definitely got it in her. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. All right, Jens. Thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Um, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahandthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead sun entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. 
Um, well, moving on from from new beginnings for Ruby Soho, we had the potential endings for Chris Jericho mm-hmm. in the next match. Chris Jericho, MJF, the final fight. Obviously, Jericho's wrestling career on the line here in this match. I'm going to be real. The first half of this match did not hook me. And so I want to I want to start with the entrances. Okay. Um, because uh, first of all, MJF using the mock Jericho countdown <laughs> in, Chicago, in Chicago. In Chicago, where, it, where Jericho yeah, debuted, where that happened. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a perfect asshole callback. It was it was great move, great you know a great call. It was a perfect swerve. It fits him exactly yeah. as it needs to. You, that was you can, that was you great. can hear the reaction shift. You can hear the reaction going yeah. up to for a pop and then immediately going off. it was great heat um and then jericho uh (laughs) okay um i don't think fozzy is a very good band to begin with i think judas is like their only good song uh that said i think this guitarist is probably a fine guitarist he was trying to improvise solos in a live performance where the crowd is singing along with him and it sounded like everybody got lost multiple Uh, times um and I mean, you could speak to it because you were there, but like that's how it felt as a viewer. I don't, I don't know if I'm off here, but I feel like this entire thing, them doing the fourth match, the way they did his intro, this was all a stroke of Jericho's ego. This all felt like, okay, we did the acapella entrance well somewhere else, so let me do it with this crowd here and go, I'm on the same level with Punk and all mm-hmm. these other great entrances here. And I just um, felt like it was unneeded. I felt like I the think- match was unneeded. I, felt I like think if, everything in Chris Jericho's career at this stage is that. Um, I think it's all yeah. a stroke of his ego. I think it's all unneeded. Um, yeah, it just, I, I don't know. I think there's pure, I, I'm going to clarify here, pure rumor and speculation that uh, WWE could be, maybe, perhaps, considering uh, the fact that Jericho's contract with AEW ends in January 2022, and they may be trying to snipe him from them. Um, I think it's a fantastic call for AEW if that happens, because I think it's the worst trade in the history of ever. If they end up practically trading, you know, Daniel Bryan, Miro, Adam Cole, potentially Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Pete Dunne for Chris Jericho well past his prime. Um, I think Jericho is well overstayed his welcome. Uh, I really did not like this match going in. Uh, I really, I, I was live for the fourth labor in Houston, um, or was it the fifth labor in Houston? I don't know. Um, Wh- I was live was for the, the fifth match. Labor? The fourth the labor. He, the fifth labor was when he didn't get Judas. Um, it was the match with MJF. Yeah, that yeah. was the fifth labor. The um, one in Houston was, was uh, the Warlow match, right? No, the the one in Houston was him and MJF. It was technically the fifth labor. Okay, uh, that was fifth, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was there live. I, I didn't really care for it. But a lot of that is rooted in the fact that I don't really care for Chris Jericho or MJF as people. So it's hard for me to get invested because there is literally no one for me to cheer for here. Um, I was vaguely cheering for Jericho because the prospect of him losing led to the prospect of him on commentary more often, which is also something I do not want. That said, I think this kind of dragged going in, and I think they pulled it together by the end. Um. Yeah, I think the problem that this match has is that MJF is just such a phenomenal heel, and he's a way better heel than Jericho is a babyface. So yes. in some ways, it's like 
going into this, I feel like MJF needs to win the match because Jericho doesn't need to win the match. Trying to put him over with a baby face with some people is just not going to work. Some people it, are it, not into him. And some the, people The are. problem is they think that, and, and I think Jericho thinks that the entrance being over means he is a massively over baby face. And that is not what that means. Uh, yes and no, because I think that there's a large part of the AEW crowd that does like Jericho. Now, that doesn't mean... I think there's I, some, but... I, I, I yeah. think there's a larger part than you think. And I, I noticed that being in the crowd. That a lot of people like I think Jericho. That's fair. Um, but I think a lot of people barely don't like him because of some things we've learned about him personally, some things that he may or may not do in the ring that is not here for some people. And that's why I just don't enjoy him as a baby face. I just think he was better as a heel within a circle. But yeah, and I will say, having been live at the Houston show, and that was where they very, you know, not subtly at all, wanted the crowd to sing Judas for the first time. Um, yeah. And it worked. Um, I was one of the, you know, probably only people who wasn't singing because I really didn't care for it. Uh, I spent the time on my phone instead. But, I mean, everybody around me was singing the whole, the, really the whole arena was into it. And they carried the song. They knew the song well enough. And, you know, it got a great reaction and it translated on TV because of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good moment. And that's why I was like, sometimes a good moment is good once. You don't need to do it twice. And I didn't think that you needed to try and do it acapella here. Um, I no. think you could have played the song behind it with the, with the guitars and it would have been just fine. Um, yes, I, I think that would have been the right balance. Yeah, I, but I... Um, I, sim I similar, totally... to how, uh, similar to how Boogs does Nakamura's entrance in WWE, uh, that he plays the guitar, yeah. but they play the song as well. Yeah, um, I think it's a nice balance to kind of have that extra thing, but also keep the song consistent and get the crowd into singing it. Yeah, but I, I you know, I feel like this was a exercise of Jericho stroking his ego here. I feel like that's what this was. I feel like the yeah. match was the same thing. The match was basically, let me get my win back because this guy has beat me three times. And I feel yes. like that serves no real purpose to this feud. I don't see how it helps MJF. I I don't know. I, I feel I, like... Yeah, I don't, I don't know anyone who gains from this match. I don't know what this does for anyone. No, I feel like if anything, they should have just done the fifth labor here on the pay per view. Exactly that that was yeah. that was my thought process too. Like it just seemed like if you're going to do the labors thing, like doing the fifth match on Dynamite and having MJF be the fifth labor was really a disservice to what the idea of what that was going to be. Yeah, exactly. Like it, yeah, it, that it, was it, the it, other thing is it was it was very poorly explained because I fully expected there to be five labors, and if you succeed through five labors then you get MJF after all five labors. And then it became clear yeah. that the fifth labor was MJF. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, that was very unclear. Yeah. And, and to be fair, like I was tired of this pinnacle inner circle feud uh, months before the labors even started. Like I was I, tired I, when this feud started. Like, um, I, I never liked this because I look, I like some of the people in inner circle. I love Santana and Ortiz. They're two, like, they're probably my favorite tag team in this entire company, which is a hard bar to make. Um, that said, I've been kind of over the inner circle for a while, and I don't think they've ever worked as a babyface group, no. which makes this entire rivalry make no sense because it's giant heel faction versus giant heel faction. And the only reason they kind of leaned them into babyface is because Guevara and Jericho's entrance got over. Yeah, I, I think if anybody, like Sammy and Pride, Proud and Powerful are the baby faces of that group. And so they lean yeah. on the fact that fans like them, but it isn't necessarily that, you know, 
fans universally like Jericho. I think fans yeah. like him, but not I don't as think much it as translates as much as they expected it to. Yeah, and so I agree. I think this this thing has outlived the shelf life. I don't know. Um, and and it, fingers it, crossed, it's over. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think yeah. for everyone involved, um, you know, whether Jericho's staying or going, whether MJF is, you know, whatever any of these groups do, I think it's long past time that. Jericho and the Inner Circle and MJF and uh, the Pinnacle are focused on anybody else. Yeah, I don't think that, uh, you know, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to crap all over it because the match itself was fine. The match was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as pure in-ring product, it, it was fine. Um, it's just yeah. the story story wasn't there. It, it, it was good. I just think that, I, I just don't think that this helps MJF in any way. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like you could have done this in a better way. I mean, you had MJF his first legitimate loss to Jericho. You didn't need to do that. Yeah. But yeah. It serves no purpose. Um, exactly. But, but we then got to a match that uh, I think we were all very excited for. <laughs> I will, before we get to that match, I will say this much. I, I will say that the, the rivalry extending to this point did give us Nick Gage in, in AEW. And uh, I will at least sh- shine light on that bright spot. That you, no, yeah. you got that's Nick Gage and you got Hoovy back. That's very fair, and I cannot be unhappy about the god of this shit on TNT. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but, shout out to Domino's. <laughs> the labors um, was was good. I I enjoyed the labors until it got to the last match. Um, yes, I thought having Hoover two come back come in was great. I thought some of the other stuff they did was it was great. I mean. Even a chairs chairs match was fine. It's just I just yeah. Felt like I, I think the concept definitely like heavily fizzled by the end. Yeah, I and I think they should have just ended it at the pay per view. I think that's just mm-hmm. the mistake they made. Exactly, exactly. But like you said, patches that did lead us into uh, a next matchup that definitely did not fizzle. CM Punk no. returning to the ring for the first time in more than seven years in his hometown, Chicago, Illinois taking on Darby Allen. And of course, before we get into any discussion on this match, like we do on the show all the time, uh, I just want to preface this by saying that there are credible allegations of abuse against Darby Allen. And we just like to highlight those things whenever we talk about people who have those sort of uh, issues standing against them. Uh, So uh, that being said, this match, I think it delivered on on the hype as best that it could, because I don't know if there's any match that could have delivered on the hype of CM Punk's return, honestly. Uh, No, I I don't think there is. Um, And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the allegations that I I don't want to get into it because I don't think that's what we're trying to do here, but that is a lot of why I wasn't maybe as excited as I could have been going into this match. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of this being his starting rivalry. That said, from an in-ring standpoint, from a style standpoint, this was really kind of the perfect match pacing and style for CM Punk return. I felt uh, it was a situation where he could for a strategy and a story reason, slow the pace down. If he ever felt like he needed to, if his, you know, in-ring conditioning wasn't quite where he wanted it to be yet, just out of pure practice and reps. Um, I don't feel like that ever showed. I don't, I don't feel like he felt out of step or blown up at any point. Um, and, and I feel like we got, you know, a lot of, a lot of what make punk good to begin with, you know, we just kind of got reconfirmation. Um, I'm kind of upset with punk because he continues to do the thing that makes no sense and no 
human beings should be able to do. Um, I call it the Shawn Michaels. It's where you retire forever as the greatest of all time and then come back. And how the fuck did you get better? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, man, I, I was, I was interested to see how he, how he would um, be received coming into this match. Cause you got the big pop mm-hmm. on rampage and it's not a surprise at this point, we are coming into the surrealness of him actually wrestling. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, maybe that'll diminish the pop. Nope. Still got a huge pop. Um, yeah. Still got um, everything. Still works. Um, it's clobbering uh, time. Still does what it does. Um, <laughs> I, I, popped, I popped huge at clobbering time because, okay, so as someone who's been a CM Punk fan, like was a huge CM Punk fan during the summer of Punk during that time period. Um, you know, had the shirt, has a old picture of myself wearing that that iconic shirt. Um, I, since, you know probably 2012 or whenever he started doing it if people ask me what time it is my response with zero hesitation it's clobbering time nobody gets it but i keep doing it (laughs) um because yeah it's just it was just something that you know i enjoyed and it was a little thing and it was great to see that again um i also have to shout out to he was wearing long boys we're seeing trump punk in in long tights yeah um I'm still not sure what to make of that, but I, I, I think going <laughs> I, I, into this, I can't, I can't fault the man for that. Um, at his age, he may just not like, he may not like the way his legs look in, you know, trunks. And so I can't fault him for that. Uh, I think I thought the tights looked good. Um, I thought the designs on the tights were good. Um, I think if, you know, I'm drawing up the Shawn Michaels comparison, uh, Shawn Michaels gear for his first non-street clothes match was, much worse than uh yeah. punk's gear for his return so yeah um i think he's gonna eventually end up in fight trunks um i think you know there's reasons for him to wear fight trunks both from his rh days and he wanted to wear fight trunks in wwe and get sponsors on them and they told him no so my guess is a big super, super brief as a fanboy, ufc um appearances so yeah i, I wouldn't be surprised by that mm-hmm. yeah um but um and i just Going into this, this just shows how much he understands pro wrestling. He just gets it. Um, him teasing is clobbering time for, for two weeks before. And yeah, it's almost teasing time. it each time. It's almost time. I, I, I think that's part of why it popped so hard. Um, I think there's things he did in his match storytelling-wise that, you know, you can say what you want about. You know, I've seen people say that he was never this great in-ring guy, but he just gets oh, he, it. I mean, he was. Yeah. It, that, that's the thing about Punk I mean, you can try and do that thing if he was never this great in-ring guy. And I think if that's true, you only watched a handful of WWE things and you never really saw what he could do prior to WWE. That said, Punk's greatest strength is, you know, like some of the greatest, it is not in having a creative wrestler moveset. It is in ring psychology. It is in timing. It is in feeling the crowd and feeling the moment and feeling the pace and making every little thing matter. Um, And that we saw that on display from this all the way through. Yeah, and I, I think that he understood several moments. And I think, you know, the way he called this match was just phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. him doing the bread spot sliding and yes. That yes. Was the call back to the one, two, three kid match. Yeah, that was a great call. Yes, him him of course him, you know, doing the Undertaker sit up doing the coffin drop. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, uh, which which someone which someone pointed out uh I th- I want to say boss moms, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Someone pointed out on Twitter that they had recently been rewatching some uh, 
CM Punk and Rey Mysterio matches. He did that spot to Mysterio in like 2011. Um, yeah. Mysterio did the splash. That was when he was doing the splash um, after the 619. And Mysterio went for the splash and CM Punk just sat up. Um, yeah, he's he just, he just and, so smart at, at and, these kind of things. He, yeah. he understands wrestling. And that show here, and I think all of the allusions to his uh, feud with Jeff were here. Mm-hmm. Um, Darby doing the Sentai bomb off of the off of the yeah. turnbuckle and, and to the outside. A mm-hmm. bomb. Yes, yes. For, for, um, for all his he, issues, you know, I I cannot fault Darby's in ring performance here. Oh, and I think if anybody thinks that Darby is like a stunt guy, he's like a bump. He just does these crazy bumps. Mm-hmm. I think he showed here that he's a great in ring guy that he understands how to, you know, buckle down and have a great match. And, you know, to his credit, and he managed to get some pretty loud Darby chants at some points. Like, there were dueling chants during this thing that I did not expect. Um, and yeah. That was really cool in the crowd for. Um, you know, a viewer still, uh, the Darby chants definitely never got to the volume of the punk chance no, no enough to be noticed several times and of that and not. that's that says a lot yeah and i i don't think anybody yeah, expected I it i don't, I don't know if anybody can do that in that moment um. yeah and that that just that goes to sherry there guys that they've established this firmly showed that that is not true and so you know i have to give them credit mm-hmm. on that and there's also like small things like him um you know, taking that bump that he does on the turnbuckle where he just wipes out on yes. it and goes oh. out. It looks crazy every time. <laughs> it, it was moments like that that I, like, that was one of the moments that kind of contributed to me like, like you know, a good call for Punk early because, you know, Punk is still feeling it. And so Punk, understandably, probably doesn't want to take the craziest bump he's ever taken in his first match back. He wants to take strong and powerful bumps, but you just want to do crazy stuff like that. And so you have Darby there. So you can have these really absurdist bumps and moments yeah. without having to risk punk early. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I figured that was going to be you know, a big part of this match is that, you know, Darby's going to bump his, his yeah. butt off and you know, it's going to look make punk look great. And punk did it. Um, this was, again, one of those matches where, again, I felt like this could have main evented this card. Mm-hmm. I mean, this felt more like, you know, this felt a lot more than just a debut where he came out and had like a nine minute match and looked good and predictably, you know, dominated um, Darby. This was actually like a very yeah. competitive match. Um, and uh, I believe it was on the road to segment that got uploaded to YouTube uh, earlier this week. Um, there was a brief interview with punk after the match where he talked about um, and kind of a testament to their willingness to build up their character and, and build up their people is that, Punk talked about the thing that's dangerous about Darby is that he's going to learn from that and that he's going to get better in the ring. Um, and so it was kind of a good nod to, yeah, Punk got him, but that doesn't mean he's buried by any means. Not that anybody was suggesting that, nor do I think anybody could. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah but just kind plays, of reaffirming that. Yeah, that plays into his character a lot because, I mean, of yeah. course, he beat Cody. Cody beat him several times, I mean, and, of course, he eventually came back and beat Cody. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think yeah, resilience, being, resilience is a very key part of the character that they've built with him. Yeah, him, him, him being this, you know, saying as character that, you know, every time he loses, he comes back stronger. <laughs> I think that is his character. No, it definitely it definitely is. Um, now, this match, I 
everything around it was awesome. You know, someone who is like, like I think everyone here that has followed punk for a good long time um, throughout his run in, in pro wrestling. It was just, this was a magical moment to see. And the first of many, hopefully as he continues on with AEW here. Um, And yeah, of course they had, they, Oh, sorry. I think, um, I think as we talked about earlier that, you know, in many ways, this show was a culmination, but it was, setting up the future and it was showing what you're going to get on dynamite looking down the road and so that was kind of what this match did as well is showing punk's still good he's still great and this is just a taste mm-hmm. of what what he's going to be able to do and who he's going to be able to mix it up with and so i think it it you know definitely makes things more exciting to see him in the ring with people down the road both that he's never ever been in the ring with before and we've never even been able to you know comprehend the possibility of that match happening and with people he hasn't been in the ring with in a long time and with people he's never been in a ring with outside of wwe structure yes yes um and of course we followed up that moment with the paul break. white and qt marshall <laughs> look I, I i love paul white um no more bs uh <laughs> <laughs> um I, I was like going in, I actually enjoyed the story that built into this uh, as someone, you know, I've been doing world championship rewind with my, ch- my sibling, Chris, and uh, you know, getting to see Paul white when he first debuted as the giant and getting to really appreciate kind of him at that time period. And also getting to appreciate Tony Schiavone from WCW. And so I personally really enjoyed the, uh, the storyline reason of Tony Schiavone's, you know, son being attacked and Paul White making the save for Shivani because they are friends because they have that connection um, that said this match was three minutes long and that's exactly how long it needed to be uh, it, it was fine um, what was your feeling live Phil was this uh, did you run to the bathroom this was definitely <laughs> the bathroom break match um, if, if everybody wanted to cool down after the long show we've had and you know the surrealness of CM Punk being back this was the cool down match. That's what the, the whole yeah. purpose of this was. And and that way I thought it was smart. Um, I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that I was clamoring to see this match, but the way putting it here made a lot of sense. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I think this match was exactly where it needed to be. And I think it fulfilled its purpose in the pacing yeah. of this show perfectly. Yeah. And like, I didn't like, I didn't want to sound as flippant as I did when I was introducing the conversation around this match, because like, Yes, I am happy to see Paul White in a ring on his own accord and feeling happy in himself so much so that he's dropping to the knee on the choke slam. Shout out to Colette was, Aaron for pointing that out. Online. Yes, <laughs> um, I was, I was, I was hopeful we would get him all the way to the ground uh, because he used to do the full bump falling choke slam in his very earliest WCW days. Uh, but I was still very happy with him going to the knee, which I believe was called the showstopper when he did it. Yes. Yes. Uh, I just, I just felt like a lot of the storyline here was a bit half-baked and, and a little bit nonsensical at times. Like I still want to know why the gun club turned, but also like the gun club. I forgot the gun club turned. (laughs) Like, like, okay. I agree. I agree. I'm kind (laughs) of curious to see what they do with that. My brain ejected that from, because so much else happened on this event. It was like, yeah, of course they turned on Paul White. Of course DX turned on NWO. Anyways, what's next? 
Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could not care less about um, any of the story stuff going in. Um, it is what it is, you know, it served its purpose. And QT Marshall, to his credit for, even though I, I really don't usually care to see him on TV, um, he played his role well here. He worked as a character that everyone knew was going to get killed everyone expected to get killed and he's not harmed and nobody's mad that paul white killed him yeah it was it was all if this is what you're gonna do with that match they put all the pieces in place and it did what it needed to do exactly exactly and it got everybody ready to give him that come down a bit to come right back up for the main event kenny omega pwi 500 number one kenny omega defending against Christian Cage, Impact Wrestling Champion. Uh, the instant classic. Yes. Captain Charisma, if you will. That's <laughs> right. The, the CLB, unfortunately, as some people will bring up. Uh, oh. Anyway. Fly lover boy? <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's, That's right. a reclamation exactly project right there. <laughs> uh, what that yeah. stands for, no more questions. Moving on. Yeah, this, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people were down on Christian getting the main event. And I mean, even when you look at this thing, you know, as a card and you look at everybody else that's been on this card, I mean, this is kind of like a dream card for anybody that's watched indie wrestling and Japanese wrestling. And then you headline it with Christian. That's just a weird call, but <laughs> we'll take it. Um, it. It is in some ways, but at the same time, you know, I feel like, and especially with him winning the Impact title, this was this was a callback to the Christian from TNA. This was a callback to Christian cage, NWA champion, Christian cage. And unfortunately we got it, you know, I think after people would have wanted it, but I'm still very, very happy for Christian. I'm very happy that he's healthy and he's able to be back in the ring. And I think, you know, um, not that you were pointing it out, but I think some have that, you know, some people don't, I can understand not caring for Christian and I can understand not thinking that maybe there could have been a better call for this slot. Christian's an incredibly prolific wrestler and he showed that here, you know, um, I, 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 I think it's hard to not, I think it's hard to have a bad match with Kenny Omega, but at the same time, it's hard to have a bad match with Christian cage. Sure. And I, I think um, in retrospect, I know a lot of people were unhappy that hangman did not get the spot, but mm-hmm. I think this was the right call. And it was kind of a, you know, happy accident that he didn't get this match because I feel yes. like hangman's win would have gotten overshadowed if he yes. did win here. And so I think saving yeah. that for a later pay-per-view is the right call. Um, I think I mean, with everything else that ended up coming together, this was the perfect storm. Yes. This was this was the perfect moment for Christian to get that spot, um, to get that opportunity. He still gets to go be Impact Champion. He still gets to show up on AEW and, you know, be that that respected veteran who's going to take everyone to the limit and all those things. But, uh, yeah. yeah, if Christian Cage was going to get a main event title shot, it needed to be here, and it worked. Yeah. And I, I think putting the, the impact title on him was the right call as well. Cause you, it was a, it was a right way to make him a world champion and not having to slot him immediately in the AEW world title scene. And, you know, being able to give that win to Hangman cause that's who everybody wants to see beat Omega at this point. Yeah. Um, yes. So it makes sense. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, now we know that he did need his time off and I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, uh, that Tony Khan was willing to give him that because in another company that never would have been offered. It would have been, no, you're here. Um, <laughs> a, um, a, a funny callback to not the media scrum for this, but the media scrum for rampage is um, 
somebody pointed out to Punk during the media scrum that you can ask for time off now in WWE and they'll grant it to you. And he looked around and he was like, you can just ask for time off. <laughs> and he was just like confused. Like you can just ask for time off. You can just do that. Okay. <laughs> One of those, sure, whatever y'all say. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you just ask for time off. <laughs> well, I mean, it worked for Becky. It worked for Seth. He asked for time off and they yeah. gave it to him. And yeah, I think, again, to make it a callback. There's some improvement in that, that realm. Yeah. And, and again, to make it a call back to him is, you know, you can ask for time off to get married. Yeah. <laughs> you can. <laughs> you definitely can. I don't know if you can put and, the stop and, on the mail, but you can definitely ask for you, time you, off. You, and, and you're unlikely to get the FedEx. Unlikely. Yeah. Not impossible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think some of those factors, like not having Hangman and just the fact that this was a long card with a lot of stuff going on, a lot of mm-hmm. moving parts, I, I think in some ways um, this match suffered because of that. But it was still a really good match. I still think that the crowd tried its best to be excited for it, even though it was kind of tired. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I can't say enough about Kenny Omega wrestling. He's just a great wrestler, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, certain There's... things he does just always hit that the you can't escape out of the corner always looks great. Um, mm-hmm. the, I mean, I know he kind of botched that uh, flip he did off of the off of the barricade, I, but he uh, immediately not, recovered. Like, I'm not 100 percent convinced that wasn't his plan. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. shit he would do. Um, Even if I it think, wasn't, man, he recovered oh, immediately. Yeah. Whether yeah. that was the plan or that was a perfect recovery, either way, it was fantastic. Um, I also have to call out the uh, the upside down New Japan table stomp spot looks so much more violent with an American table because they <laughs> crack completely differently. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just certain things about Kenny Omega as a wrestler, and this could be just that I'm a fan. It's just certain things that he does that, you know, he just knows how to play up being a heel. He knows how to play up to the crowd. Yeah, He's just so and, good at it. You know, as someone, you know, I've, I've liked Kenny for a long time, um, going back to kind of really when I got into New Japan Pro Wrestling was Kenny as the cleaner getting the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Um, it was the Wrestle Kingdom where he won the title. And so, you know, kind of following him along that journey all the way up to here, um, you know, I've been in the last several months kind of, you know, not as, I never like disliked Kenny. Um, his character didn't feel like it was firing as well as it could have been, um, whether it be the story or whether it be some of the things in the last couple months. But uh, I think it really, it all came together here uh, for character and for kind of just further solidification of him as as good as he is, but also as that asshole top heel champion, um, you know, yeah, showcasing I- both of those. I think as a character, I think this is absolutely the best character stuff he's done with AEW. I think he mm-hmm. is good at, you know, some people are go, oh, he's not relatable. He's not, you know, a grounded villain in the way that Roman is. But that's the point, And that's why it works, because it's so over the top. It's so cartoonish. Mm-hmm. It's so megalomatic. And that's why it works. And all yes. throughout this match, he's doing is stomping his neck and targeting his head, which yeah. forced Christian to retire. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff mm-hmm. just works. Yeah. He's just so good it, at that kind of stuff. Very, very targeted, very intentional. Um, I will say, I think I think my favorite character work was really the page storyline, um, them tagging and the tension there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that all fed into this. You know, yeah. it's really inseparable. And so, you know, while I, th- I think really what it comes down to is that mm-hmm. for a while, Kenny hasn't been the thing that I've been most excited to tune into Dynamite for. But I've never been sad when he showed up. Yeah, if that makes sense. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the fact that Christian got this this match. And, and mm-hmm. you know, this was, like you said before, um, this was the spot to do it with everything else that was on this card. Like, it wasn't going to overshadow um, the Punk's return or anything else that was on this this card. And it was also not going to waste, I think, your biggest payoff that you have in, in the chamber right now with Paige whenever he does get that that chance to dethrone Kenny. Because that I'm with you, Phil. I think that's the where that's the that's the destination that we're heading towards at some point. Um yeah. it's just a matter but, of time, I think. Exactly. But I will say this, I will say like Christian held his own in this match. I saw a lot of people like pointing out that this was better than the match on Rampage. And I don't know, I would probably put it neck and neck. Honestly, they're two, they're, they're two different beasts. I think um, they, in, they in were, I think they were two different matches telling two different stories. Um, yeah. Especially with the way they ended. Um, but yeah, no, I think they're both great. Honestly. Yeah. And um, shout out to Christian I, for that I, spear spot and taking the, oh, the leg yeah. of the table right into his ribs. <laughs> That was, that was a rough fall, um, but yeah, a great moment. Um, and, you know, I have my bias over Christian. Um, Christian's been one of my favorites for two decades now. Uh, right as I started, Edge and Christian and Rhino were kind of the trio that made me fall in love with wrestling. Um, and so getting to see him back in this role, I, I'm not going to ever not enjoy. Um, but, but yeah, I think it was a great match, and it was – they – they told the story they needed to tell and then it wasn't over. No, no, it wasn't. It fed right into uh, the perfect way to end a night of surprises. We have the teasing of, uh, you know, Kenny Omega coming in with the mic, laying out Jurassic Express, laying out Christian again, and, you know, saying no one can beat him. The only people that could beat him potentially they're not here or they're dead already. Yes. Um, And I have to give him props for that because uh, uh, it's, there's an art to the something is coming heel promo there. There's an art to the, he's going on too long. This is leading to something and you can feel it building. And, and he did it perfectly in that moment. And then we got the lights out and uh, how did it feel live? Phil? Um. I, I think because we saw this happen already. We saw this where SummerSlam, you know, kind of teased us with the match that we weren't going to get with Sasha. And then they brought out Carmella. And then, you know, they swerved us with the actual actual return that we thought was coming. So I think, most people, yeah, I think most people thought that Daniel Bryant was going to come out and save the day and have Adam Cole come out. And Adam Cole still got a loud reaction. It wasn't like, okay oh, we don't want him. It was like, oh, we'll take Adam Cole too, but we're waiting around to see if Daniel Bryan's going to actually show. Yeah, we're, and, we're not complaining about Adam Cole, but you got anything else? Yeah, and it was a loud reaction for him and definitely for sure. I don't think if, I don't, I'm not sure if it rivals the Adam Cole baby we heard at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, but it was pretty loud. <laughs> I'm not sure much, man. Um, and I, I want to give props to, uh, I believe this is, that this song is a ruckus original um for for mikey ruckus because it, it's a great it's a great groove um it feels very much heavily inspired by the undisputed air theme um but in a way that it still feels unique to him um and it feels new and so i, I really liked the music they chose for him and yeah i thought it was a great moment of him coming out and going out to uh to the elite and we had that initial very short is he is he with them is he against them what are they doing 
Yeah, of course he's a heel because he's Adam Cole, man. <laughs> exactly. Adam Cole I, is... I, I was very happy when he embraced with them. I was like, oh, good. We're not even going to do the oh. Adam Cole's a face briefly because he's a big name. No, he's this is what he's good at. Let him do what he's good at. I mean, yeah, we got the surprise and then we got the heel turn instantaneous. And I think all of the callbacks they did there, the, the, the kiss cheek. Yeah, I mean, yes. and, and, and that in that very moment when I saw it and I rewatched it the other night, I was like, he's going to turn on Omega, isn't he? He's going to turn on him. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, of course. It's, <laughs> it's inevitable. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to enjoy the whole ride to it. And, and the other thing that I thought about watching this is I said, man, Punk has been back for two weeks and we've watched all these other guys come down and save the day. Punk has never come down and saved the day. When he had to save the day the other night, he stood there and he hesitated. And I said, hmm, we can see him punk heel turn at some point. Oh, Maybe. You've, you know Maybe. it's coming at some point. <laughs> yeah, he's, Maybe. He, he's there long term. Like, look, they're going to milk this, the, you know, and with good reason. They're going to milk the reaction as long as they can. Yeah. Um, but I think if the story facilitates it and the timing is right, uh, I think there is no reason on the planet not to pull the trigger on, you know, arguably one of the greatest heels of the 2010s into 2015s, I guess. It, yeah, um, it just makes a lot of sense. There, there are certain things that he's done so far that lead me to believe that, and that goes into our next surprise. But uh, just him bringing up Ring of Honor, just him bringing up certain things like, you know, how, you know, he left there and he was happy and mentioning that Daniel Bryant you know, left on different terms and other things that he said in, in that media scrum. And that might not have been intentional, but I just thought about all of it and was like, yeah, I could see him turning at some point. They're not going to do it in Chicago, of course, because he's a hero here. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah, of course. Yeah, you can't, so you can't do it there. It, yeah, he's going to get cheered it, here. It'd be like trying to turn Becky heel. Come on. I mean, yeah, it, it's like trying to get people to boo Brett in Canada. It's not going to happen. And yeah. So it, it, yeah, I, I think there's a chance that he could later on. Um, but I thought the way that they handled Cole's debut was fantastic. Everything mm. they did in those brief minutes was perfect. And then not soon after those minutes there, we get what everybody anticipated and everybody in that building wanted. Brian Danielson coming out it's i've seen a lot of people saying that the the version of ride of the valkyries that's there was a trap remix that's not trap but <laughs> no um it, okay it's the, i i i get where they pulled that from that doesn't that's that's incorrect that doesn't make any sense yeah um but also i love this remix um uh I want to say Elliot Taylor is the name of the artist artist that did it. Um, Brian Danielson shared it out after the show, um, a link to the artist that did this song for him. Um, I think it was great. Uh, I think it's the exact right call because you want you want that first opening of it because you you need that pop and that's become such an iconic part of his character um, since the very beginning of his WWE days. And so um, I think doing that but having it lead into a different song was the right call. Um, yeah. and it was a great, you know, reaction from what I saw. Um, yeah. And it's great to see him. It is great to see him. I immediately thought sweet beats based off mm. the SmackDown segments is talking smack subject. And man, it was just great to see him. It's great to see him happy. It's great to see him just in good spirits. And he just looked overjoyed to be there. Mm -hmm. He got a fantastic reaction. 
yeah, I don't know if you can end a pay-per-view on a higher note than that. No. no. And, and I don't think I can think of anybody. I mean, the only person he, I think that can rival the happiness only, that Brian Danielson had on his face and exuding so much violence in the ring was Minoru Suzuki. Like those are the yes. two happiest people to the amount the of shit out of you. The amount of <laughs> violent, the amount of violent joy radiating off of them. Um, yeah, it was great. Um, I think the only way you could have ended this pay-per-view better is if that clip from after they went off the air where Brian Danielson talked about, you know, I'm here to wrestle and I want to wrestle and let's fucking go. I, I think that should have been in the broadcast, but I understand why it wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there were many things he said after this thing went off the air that I was just overjoyed for his entire media scrum. If you haven't watched his media scrum, please go watch it. Yes. Um, yeah. Him saying that we're going to deliver great pro wrestling. You can put great pro wrestling in front of anyone and they'll love it because it's fucking awesome. <laughs> That's why we love Daniel Bryan. That's why he is yeah. the greatest of all time. <sighs> it's just, I, you, you can't be any more happier to see him in a spot where he feels like I get to do my version of wrestling. It, yes. Thinking back to kind of the, you know, the time he's had before now, um, it makes me think to uh, someone else pointed out to me, um, a friend of mine, that it was a quote, I think from his book, in like 2014 or 15 that uh brian talked about basically kind of the way the reason things clicked for him in wwe is that he started treating it like a parody of pro wrestling um mm. that, that that was the style the style was a parody of legitimate pro wrestling and i am very 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 excited to see brian get to now do legitimate pro wrestling again and not have to do it within a structure and within a confined parody style and all the other things that go along with the way WWE plans things, produces shows and produces matches. Um, we are getting to see Brian Danielson unleashed and I'm, I can't wait. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's already a, you know, a plethora of matches that I can think of right now that I want to see. Um, I mean, of course we didn't get into you know adam cole actually kicking jungle boy to set up that match yes i mean yeah and that's going to be a great feud when we get there um we may go yeah. there right away uh I, i'd be fine with that um, yeah, i think that I, would be a great call for him to get started with yeah and i mean if you if you're going to tease me with jungle boy and daniel bryan i'd also take that at some point mm. whatever you want to do with daniel bryan i'm here for the ride and, yeah. and I really, I really appreciate, um, and I'm sure part of it was sincerity and part of it was, you know, building the kind of character that he wants to build now that he's there and kind of change things up. But at the same time, I appreciate the contrast of punk coming in and being very, you know, I'm here to help and I'm here to build pro wrestling and I'm here to help the young guys and I want to make everything better. And Brian was like, I'm here to kick all these fucking kids heads in. But see, this is why. I think that Punk is going to turn because I feel like you could easily flip that on his head and say that yes. he's been disingenuous the entire time and he's been here for a paycheck. There's yes. just or, so many ways you could do this. Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> I think you could also do him legitimately and genuinely helping yes. until it goes wrong for him a few times and going, you know what? Fine. Fuck all of you. I'm about myself again. Uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, there are so many ways you can you can do this, and I mean, I, I, I mean, just the thought of it's, them, them the, getting in the, the ring again, like the Punk subtitle for AEW nowadays. The subtitle for AEW nowadays should be "The possibilities are endless." Yes, that's, that's mean, that that's it. It's just that, there's so much we can do. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just so many things that I looked at when Brian when Brian was talking as media scrum and Punk talking in the media scrum, and I was just like, mm-hmm. these two are going to be in the ring again very soon, and I can't oh, yeah. wait. Yes, yeah, same. yes, yes, yes. No, and I think all all of us here, everybody that was watching, everybody that is tangentially tuned in to AEW is going to be here for for whatever comes next. Um, show up and down, awesome. Like I said, probably the most complete pay per view that they have produced up to this point. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, about, um, you know, start to finish, um, consistency across the entire card. You know, uh. Jericho MJF, I think, very clearly being the low point of this show, maybe compared to Paul White QT Marshall, but I, I actually put that above it because it fulfilled its role better. Um, Oof, but even then, be I mean, a very unpopular opinion. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure, I'm sure, yell at me all they want um, is what it is. Uh, but that said, you know, the fact that Jericho MJF still had its own power and still had a lot of people who enjoyed it and were behind it. And that that is the low point of this card says a lot about how good everything else on this card was. Yeah, exactly. I I definitely think this is pay-per-view of the year. And I think it's going to be hard for anything to top it for the rest of the year. It'll probably end up pay-per-view of the year by the end of the year. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I I don't see anything WWE or even New Japan does topping this. I don't see anything AEW doing topping this. Yeah, I just don't see it happening. Um, I saw comparisons to WrestleMania 17, and I think that's a very hard comparison to make because they are two very different time periods and two very different scenarios. But I think it's the fact that it's not a comparison where my reaction is, well, that's insane. The fact that my reaction is, okay, I can kind of see where you're coming from there, speaks to how good this event is that it's even capable of being in the conversation with something that a lot of people think is the greatest WrestleMania of all time. And maybe the greatest show WWE's ever produced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there are other pay-per-views if I really sat down and thought about it, that might be able to compare, but I mean, this is the best pay-per-view I've seen in a very long time. And there's yes. some bias that I was there and I'm Chicagoan and other things, but <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people feel the same way just because of the excitement coming into the pay-per-view and even more excitement coming out of it. Um, yeah. I saw someone tweet. Um, I, I don't know who it was, uh, but it was, you know, someone shared that they had a friend who was a casual wrestling fan and had been for a lot of years who watched all out and for years had that, that casual wrestling fan had only watched WWE and they watched all out and texted their friend. I've collapsed on the floor. I'm dead. I'm so mad at WWE for gaslighting me for all these years that that was what pro wrestling was. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and I think, you know, I think it's an extreme way to phrase it, but I think at the same time, you know, the way WWE has very clearly for a very long time been clear that pro wrestling is not necessarily their focus. It's about entertainment. It's about telling stories. It's about all those things that they do or do not do well, depending on who you ask at what time. But, you know, this was absolutely felt more like pro wrestling than WWE has in a long, long, long time. Yeah. 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 And I mean, Hey, if it gets WWE to get to a point where they compete more with them, great. Mm -hmm. You know, I want everyone to be good. Rising tides lift all boats um, yeah. it, as they get better. You know, hopefully what we want is WWE to feel this push and feel this pressure and to actually deliver. Cause 
there are still, you know, as much as I have my issues with WWE, there are people there I love and support. And I want that show to do better. I want the show to be better. And I want them to be able to do good things with their career and enjoy being there. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a good place of hope is the perfect way to kind of leave the, leave uh, all out uh, in the, in the history books now, like just outstanding. And and it, it offers a lot of hope about the future of wrestling. Yeah, it really, really does. Well, Phil Patches, thank you so much for, for coming on this ride with me. I know we've been going for a while here, but <laughs> really do appreciate it. Um, let everybody know where they and, can find you online. Uh, Phil, <laughs> start with you. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at PhilDL616. Uh, you can find my writing at Bleach Report and Daily DDT. Um, probably some more places coming soon. I, I don't know. I'm taking over. I'm, I'm, I'm collecting all the infinity stones of wrestling media. I will be everywhere. I will be inevitable. Uh, just be a benevolent Thanos, all right? Yeah. Um, yeah, everybody can find me at Patches Chance pretty much everywhere. My website's patcheschance.com and currently writing. Um, primarily, you'll find me at Real Sport 101 or uh, Daily DDT or soon to be, um, I'll have my first piece go up on FanFight. And nice. so um, I also do want to briefly, as we wrap up, because we don't really have a lot of time too, but I do want to briefly shout out Effie's Big Gay Brunch and Art of yes. War Games for being really great pieces of independent wrestling in this weekend. Um, we could do a whole other show on that and you may in your own time, but you know, I just want to give them the nod because they were, there were a lot of pieces of wrestling that weekend in and out of AEW that showed kind of the promise that this industry has right now and where things can go from here. Yeah, yeah. I was at Big Gay Brunch that morning, and it was just a really good um, experience. It was a good place to be in terms of, you know, how comfortable fans felt, um, just the different kinds of styles that were on that card. And, you know, it was just, it was great. It was a great yeah. show. So glad to have Straight Bill be something of the past. That's, that's all I'll say about that. But uh... <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, I, I believe that. I, I believe, as Val Capone put it, thank you, Gaga. Thank you, Brittany. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, well, thank you to y'all. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. My thanks once again to Phil and Patches for stopping by, taking the time to chat about this monumental pay-per-view event from AEW. I'm excited to see where Punk goes from here, what Brian Danielson has in store. Murder Daddy is here for a short time, but a good time. It's going to be so good. Ruby Soho, no longer a runaway, has a destination, has a home. Uh, The Butcher is back. Kenny Omega, Christian, Adam Cole. So many awesome names coming out of this. The Oh, it's it's just, it's it's a lot. It's it's great, um, and it didn't stop there. I'm not you know I'm recording this as Dynamite is on the air, but yo Lee Moriarty Tiger Style. I can't do it like J Rose. I'm not even gonna try Tiger Style. Much deserved. Welcome. You have been all elite this entire fucking time, and I am so happy to see you get that contract. Will Hobbs, Dante Martin, killed it in a short but sweet match uh, on the show and of course big swole and diamante that three strikes match if you haven't seen it go check it out you know AEW's excellence in in terms of in ring did not stop with sunday um keep tuned to it um and that being says also you know i've been really 
um, it's been really awesome to see the the kind of coming together and the support that the black wrestling draws hashtag and that that movement is starting to pull. Like it's it's just been amazing to see that support come together so organically. And I know it's not something that's completely it's not new. You know, this this is a struggle that's been going on for a long time. And rightly addressing something in AEW and the greater world of pro wrestling that needs to definitely be addressed in, in that way. You know, as as a queer person, I I can relate in a way to, you know, that fight for visibility, that fight for representation, that fight for support from the pro wrestling world to, you know, show that there is a place for you. Not just a place, but a place in a prominent uh, position for you and your community. So, you know, we here at LGBT in the Ring fully get behind and support that movement as well. It's amazing to see. Um, that being said, though, that's going to do it for, for this one. Make sure to go check out the other episode um, on Effie's Big Gay Brunch Chicago with me and my buddy Andrew. And, um, you know, I said this on the Big Gay Brunch episode, but I guess I'll say it here too. Um, I tease something about the QWI. I guess cover all the bases for people that only listen to one episode, um, which there's two of them. Make sure you listen to both of them. But uh, the number two is pretty apt, actually, <laughs> because uh, the QWI, it was 25 in 2019. Last year, I bumped that up to 100 after Billy Dixon openly, publicly challenged me to do so. So thank you, Straight Bill, um, or Straight Bill No More, rather. Uh, but this time around, yeah, well, let's go for two. QWI 200. What am I getting myself into? What am I getting myself into? <laughs> That's it for us, though, here on this one. Go listen to the Big Gay Brunch, or go listen, yeah, go listen to the Big Gay Brunch episodes, <laughs> and uh, um, come back next week. We're going to have more in store for you. Until then, though, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated. And know that black wrestling draws. Bye! Coming from the top of the bridge She made a deal with the demon So her lover could live With the moon